Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. That was awesome, wonderful. I don't use that word too often either. That's a great representation of our school, of Parkway Christian School. If you have any thought, desire, you know someone who could come out to the open house this afternoon, this is the, this is the kind of going on at the school. I've been over at the chapels. They're excellent. They use the, the talent of the students. It's a great place for the talent of the students to be honed and to be sharpened. They allow them to uh, lead the worship, and I just love it. I really just love it. They did an, they did an excellent job. I, I just, they're... <laughs> outstanding. I loved how uh, Reverend Allen started our ser- service this morning talking about us being in unity, and he... He was being a little modest, too. He said he came late yesterday to help out with our project. He was here on Friday. He was here on Friday. I've got pictures of him. He was here Friday working, getting things a little bit prepared, took everything off the walls as far as pictures and got uh, things out of the way. There was some furniture in that hallway and such. So uh, Reverend Barry's being a little modest. He was here, and then on Saturday... It really was fantastic. And I just want to say thank you to all of you who were there, the peelers and the glue removers. And I was on one of those glue removing teams too. So yes, if you're, you know, you took off your your blue jeans yesterday and they stood up in the corner because they were all just like one piece of glue. Yeah, uh, I know I'm going to have to run them through the washing machine uh, separate. The water runners, those of you who were bringing the buckets, the meal preparation, thank you. Clean up everybody. It really just was a great opportunity to rub elbows and shoulders with others. And, you know, I just want to say, too, I heard from actually a good number of you who either sent a message or told me personally, I really wanted to be there, but I had to work. I had another obligation. I feel your heart. So thank you. I know your heart was with us, and I really appreciate it. It was just a a great time. It truly was the church in action, taking care of the house and strengthening the home, you know, getting unified uh, among the family. I had a great time, and I'm looking forward to finishing it up. It really is going to look beautiful, so thanks to everybody who helped out yesterday, and if you can be here next week, that's when some of the real fun's going to start, and we'll get paint under our fingernails and probably in our hair. It'll be a great time. So this morning, I have a couple of questions I thought I would begin with. Two questions that I think sometimes we, we ask, we consider from time to time, where have you come from and what's coming? What's coming? What lies ahead? What is, what's before us? These are questions about life that I think we all ask from time to time. And why is that? Why would we ask those two questions? Not so much, you know, what are we doing right here, right now, or, but 
What was in the past? Where did we come from? And what, what's coming ahead? We're searching. We're searching for answers because there's some mystery in these questions, isn't there? There is some intrigue, some intrigue, some, some of the element of the unknown in these questions. And most everyone loves a mystery. We've got a little mystery going on. And that mystery of where did, where did I come from? We could probably all give an, an answer to that question. Hey, where, where do you come from? We probably could give an answer to some extent. Some of us could probably give a much longer answers than others. You probably have met somebody. They're the historian of the family, right? So they can start rattling off generations and generations. My grandpa and my grandma, great-great-grandpa, and he did this. And they take you back to the Mayflower. And yes, we're related to William Bradford and and. But then it ends. So they've gone back 10 generations or 11 or 12 back to the 1600s. And now they're stuck because, hey, they're trying to get back over the pond to Yorkshire. And, and they, they've lost connection. So there's still some mystery there. And then you might talk to somebody uh, who maybe they were uh, adopted into their family. And the question of where do you come from, that's a little bit more compelling to that person. Right? Because... The unknown is, is bigger. There is much more mystery. And to, to find the answer, to get to the answer, that's a, a bigger challenge. It, it brings a little bit more excitement to the, the challenge of finding out. And we have technology now that's really wonderful that can help with those types of challenges. You know, you can go online and you can find various places. You get your DNA tested. Yeah, send in a little sample. And from these various uh, websites and services that you can go to for a very modest fee, it's not really that expensive, you give them your sample, and they promise that this result will give you information about your lineage. And I was at a meeting this past Tuesday. One of our, uh, we were talking with the staff, and we were together, and Matthew Klug Suddenly he got all excited. He, he was just like, oh, oh. And I said, well, hey, what's, what is it? He said, my results are in. Because he had done this. He had uh, gone to one of these sites and submitted a DNA a test sample. And he said, oh, but I can't look at him. I can't look at him. I promised my wife, you know, we would look at him together. And, uh, you know, he thought he was all, well, I shouldn't say all, but he thought he was a lot German. And when I saw him the next day, he says, Irish and English. <laughs> yeah, there's some German, but not that much. I thought I was all German. He says, Irish and English, French, German, even some Scandinavian. You know, and he's not blonde-haired or blue-eyed. And he was telling me this morning a little bit of North African. I said, oh, Matt, you going to start walking like an Egyptian? <laughs> so he's got some answers. And then they showed this chart, right? It goes back hundreds of years, it says, okay, in, this, in these uh, certain centuries was where this lineage came in, and it, it kind of traces the DNA, and it can give you some uh, insight into when all this came into your bloodline. Very, very interesting. So it answers some of the mystery, and it's, it's just fascinating. I was on a team yesterday peeling the glue where we kind of had a talk that went down this line. We had a little Bible study, too, so 
you can come out here and peel glue and actually have a little Bible study too. It's part of getting to know somebody and uh, finding out about uh, another person. So I was on Bob Jensen's team. So I had Bob Jensen and uh, there was Matt Hunter and Sam Pearson and we were kind of stuck in a, a little alcove there right by the emergency exit around from our video room. So we're kind of all alone and we could have a a good conversation. And Bob had mentioned Doug Rich's funeral, which was on Friday, or his memorial service. And he said, boy, you know, uh, Doug came from New York. This is where he hailed from. So that, that, that question, where do you come from? It's, we started talking about Doug Rich. And, you know, you learn things at someone's memorial service. And I said, yeah, you know, it was interesting. I learned that uh, Doug Rich uh, was Jewish. He was from New York, and he was Jewish. And Sam pipes up. He says, hey, I'm, I'm from New York, and I'm Jewish too. And so we said, hey, we started talking to him. Well, what's your story? Well, my mother was Jewish, and my dad was a Christian, and I learned all the, the things about the Jewish holidays, and we practiced them until I was about nine years old. My mom died, and then the, the Christian influence uh, came in. And as we talked and uh, talked about Jesus. Matt Hunter talks about reading Romans 11. He says, oh, I was reading Romans 11 this morning. And you know, it's about the tree. And it, it's about the tree and the root, if you know Romans 11. So I said, hey, Matt, it's talking about the root, right? And, and the Jewish heritage to the Christian faith. And, and then Sam starts talking about being a Christian too. And he said, uh, he said, you know, it just kind of made sense to me. I, you know, I, yes, I had this Jewish background, but, you know, it made sense what they were talking about in Christianity. And he said, you know, Jesus was the missing link. And I liked that. Yeah, Jesus is the missing link. He's this connection from God to man. And he's, he, he, he is the... Uh, sort of the top of the line, right? And we go back to this Jewish heritage. We have this heritage as Christians. So it was just a great discussion as glue was falling on my head because I was on the floor, you know, and those two guys were on the ladders. So yeah, I was getting the, the brunt of the glue, but we had a great conversation. And I thought uh, it was interesting because it was going to fit right into what was going to be talked about this morning. So I thought maybe I'd share with you a little bit from Romans 11 because it talks about our Christian heritage. Where did we come from? And if you don't really know, well, you have come from somewhere. You have roots in your Christian faith. And I want to read to you Romans uh, chapter 11, verses 17 to 18. The Apostle Paul's writing about this olive tree. He presents this picture of a great olive tree. It's an image for us, and it's an image of God's people. And he says in verse 17, if some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, he's talking to these Roman people he wrote the letter to, you're a wild olive shoot. You weren't on the original uh, tree. You, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root 
but the root supports you. In other words, don't despise the root. Don't despise where you came from. And again, this imagery Paul is using is of this, this great tree, an olive tree, where some of the natural branches, they had broken off. They had fallen. And other branches from a wild tree had been grafted into that tree. They had become part of it. The image is of God's people, one tree, one root, and it all represents the people of God. And the point the, apo the apostle's trying to get across is that Christianity is rooted in something. It's rooted in a Judaism. So he said, don't be arrogant. Don't think you're, yourself superior to those folks, even though not every one of them is part of God's tree. You're a branch on the tree, and you're supported by that root. Judaism brought us Jesus Christ. Jesus is this, this missing link, the God-to-man connection. And he is the one and the only way to God. And so as Christians, we know where we came from. We have a heritage that goes back to Abraham, the man selected by God to begin a nation, a nation from which Jesus Christ came. Do you recognize that? Do you understand that? Do you see him? Do you see Abraham as your, your father? Do you see Jesus as the head of the line? Some didn't see Jesus. Some refused to see him. In this olive tree image that the apostle painted for us, Paul depicted this uh, root, and he makes it clear that some of the Jews were part of the root. As a matter of fact, the Christian church started on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 Jews started Christianity. The Holy Spirit arrived. 120 in the upper room, they came out. It was Jerusalem. Jerusalem was packed with Jews from everywhere who were there for the festival of Pentecost. And 3,000 of them were baptized that day. They started the church. This is our heritage. This is our foundation. This is our root. But some of those in Judaism did not believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Later in Romans uh, chapter 11, verse 20, it says, those branches were broken off the tree because of their unbelief. But anyone, anyone, doesn't matter who they are, can be grafted into that tree. They can they can become part of God's people by belief. Seeing Jesus for what he accomplished, for what he accomplished in the giving of his life on the cross, realizing that he didn't just show up unannounced, randomly in time. No, there was a plan, and there was a reason for Jesus coming, and it had been arranged since the dawn of time. God selected this man named Abraham, and then this plan began to unfold. And as Christians, we know where we came from. And we have a heritage that goes back, and it goes all the way back to God's sovereign selection of a man. Well, then there's that second question. So we know, we know we have a very good understanding of where we came from. But that second question that's got the mysterious aspect to it, tougher question to answer, what's coming? What's in the future? I want to spend some time on this question, not just today, but in the, the days uh, coming for the next several weeks. 
Take a look at the Old Testament. The Old Testament projected this picture of Christ. And it gave really an idea of what was to come to the people to, that all these prophets were speaking to. And yet they missed something. And if Judaism is our roots, we can ask, how did they miss Jesus? How did they miss his coming and his ministry so badly? Why couldn't they see him? What was said in the Old Testament was relevant to all those who first heard it and all those who lived before Jesus arrived on the scene. It was pointing to Jesus. And then Jesus arrived and he lived and he died and he was resurrected and he was ascended. So does that mean that all that Old Testament is irrelevant to us? No. No, it's absolutely relevant. We can learn from that. We can learn from that so that we don't make the same mistakes those folks made who missed something that God was trying to show them because God is still revealing things. And I want us to all learn from it as we consider how what was coming was portrayed in the Old Testament and how it was missed. I really believe that's going to help us in the here and in the now and what Jesus has for us. And I want to begin to look at this question from the Old Testament. What's coming? Do you see him? Do we see Jesus in what is unfolding in the future? Amos chapter 3 is one such passage. Now, the Old Testament is full of prophecies. It's full of uh, pointings to Jesus. And this is just one little passage that points to something that's coming. So I want to share it with you and dig into it a little bit. This is Amos 3, verses 1 through 7. Hear this word, people of Israel. The word of the Lord has spoken against you, against the whole family I brought up out of Egypt. You only have I chosen for all of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Does a lion roar in a thicket when it has no prey? Does it growl in its den when it has caught nothing? Does a bird swoop down to a trap on the ground when no bait is there? Does a trap spring up from the ground if it has not caught anything? When a trumpet sounds in a city, do not the people tremble? When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. I want to give you a little bit about this guy, Amos, so you've got some insight into where he was, what he was saying, why he was saying it. He was not a known prophet. Amos was not a, a known prophet of the time. He was actually a keeper of flocks and a dresser of uh, sycamore fig trees. He may have been a man of means. There is some hint of that in his description that he might have been a rancher of a certain type of sheep. He may have been someone who had a lot of money. Potentially, he was just a shepherd, too. And uh, we, we don't have the complete picture. I do tend to like the idea that he was a man of means. God called him. He had 
he was able to take care of himself and he went out to prophesy for a time. And God gave him a message. He felt really God press it upon his heart. So he left his town. He was in a town south of Jerusalem in Judea and he went north. He went north into the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom. And again, uh, the, the nation had already split in two. There was a north and a south. And Amos went into the north and he just began to preach and give God's message. And the man didn't mince words. He actually was fairly sarcastic at times, a bit caustic, and he just said what needed to be said. And he, I don't think was worried at all what people thought about him. He just said what God had given him. And this is a passage uh, that gives us an example of his direct style. Amos brings a word from God, and he says, just plainly, straightforwardly, this is what God's saying. I will punish you for all your sins. He's not trying to soften it. He's not trying to water it down. Straight to the point, direct, unvarnished. He was bringing a message of judgment to these people. Now, of course, do you think they received it? He was unwelcomed. Read through the book of Amos. You get to some of the later chapters, and you read they told him, go home. Just go. Get out of here. We do not like what you're saying. So go back to Judah. Tell it to the Judeans. Tell them that message. We don't want to hear it. In this passage, he presents not only his direct message, God's going to punish you, and then he, he launches into uh, questions. He gives seven rhetorical questions that really builds. He's going somewhere. Do two walk together unless they've agreed to do so? And these are, he's not looking for answers because the answers are obvious. They are rhetorical questions. Of course, of course, two are not going to be walking together unless they agree. A true partnership can't happen unless there's good unity and agreement. Does a lion roar in a thicket when it has no prey? No. He doesn't want to give himself away. He's not going to reveal his position. Does it growl in its den when it's caught nothing? Well, no, there's no food there to protect, so he's not trying to keep away other predators. And the questions go on. Does a bird swoop down to a trap on the ground when there's no bait? Of course not. Pretty obvious. Does a trap spring up from the ground if, uh, if nothing has set the trap? Well, no. Well, there's nothing that's triggered it. Easy answers. But the questions build. The prophet's going to make a point. He gets to his last question. When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? That's all of us stop when we read that. That's hard to read. What? The Lord caused it? But recall, think about Satan before God and God saying, have you considered my servant Job? Everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, don't lay a finger. So the disaster that followed in Job's life, God allowed it. That's tough for us to think about it. It's tough for us to understand it. And Amos here is making a similar point. And then he says, immediately following that, surely the sovereign Lord. See, the Lord's in control. God is in control. 
He is sovereign. He is king. He is supreme. He is matchless on his throne. He is the decider. God decides what happens when. He decides how. He decides to who. That's his business. He is sovereign. But he hasn't kept it a total secret. God has let us in on some things. So I finished the statement that Amos made to the people of Israel. Surely the sovereign Lord the decider of all, surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. So Amos had a message. Amos had received it from God. It wasn't a nice message. It was a hard message. And he made the point that it was God's choosing. God is the one overall. God is the sovereign. And God had had enough. He had had enough of what Israel was doing, and he was revealing his plan to these people. And that was a merciful act of God. God showing, hey, listen, I'm going to judge you for your sin. And if you think about what happened with the Ninevites, when Jonah arrived on the scene and he went to Nineveh and he really brought kind of the same message, 30 days, and then God's judgment's going to fall, the Ninevites repented. And God's hand was lifted from them and they weren't destroyed. So God's bringing this message of judgment is an act of mercy. He is revealing his plan. And yet the people refused to see it, to hear it. Amos could have put to them another rhetorical question. If God speaks to you so clearly and directly, can you not see his plan? Of course they could see his plan, but they chose not to. And there is something that we can all learn from this because God has revealed so much, much more to us. We have been given a great gift by God. He has revealed more to us than he did to those back then. He's revealed so much more to himself and to mankind. What he revealed of himself and his plan is knowable. It is searchable. We can discover it. And there is so much God is revealing that we can day by day know him greater and know him deeper than the day before. And that should be our desire, that we know our God more, that we know our creator more, that in a deeper and a greater way, day by day, we have more of him in us. And I want to offer you some ways, some simple ways, some practical ways to know God and his plans in a greater and deeper way. This is not an exhaustive list. It's just a few things. It's not all-encompassing. You could probably think of more, and I encourage you to do that. I hope you leave today and say, right in your heart, how could I know more about what God is revealing? I don't want us to be like the Israelites of Amos' time, having seen the plan, having heard the plan, and then missing it entirely. God revealed himself to mankind through this man, Adam, down to Moses, and so many others. These, these episodes, these accounts are recorded for us in Scripture. And that's the Bible, God's Word. And it's God's written revelation to all of us. So this is primary. This is the first way to get to know God. Do you really love his Word? Do you really know his Word? We should fall in love with it. We should really, day by day, want more of it. And let it, let it enlighten you. Desire it. Take it in sincerely into your heart. Talk to God as you receive his word. You can do that. It's okay. Most times when I've got my Bible open, I'm just saying, Lord, 
show me, help me. I've read some of it before, and then sometimes it's suddenly brand new. Suddenly the Holy Spirit's working something, and he's showing me something, and, and revealing something to me new from a scripture pa passage, maybe I even memorized years ago. And I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Help me, please help me. And you can do the same thing just as you're reading. Lord, help me. Show me. Enlighten me. Say, Lord, I want, I want to know what you would want to reveal to me through your word. And please show me. And it's not something that's got to be secret or something that's not um, unobvious to others. But sometimes there's just a clarity we get and an understanding of a passage that maybe we just didn't understand before. And you'll come together from it what God would want you to have of himself for you. And this is one way, and it's primary, God's word that he has revealed to all of us. Another way that we can come to know God is through others. Jesus said this by everyone by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Paul wrote in Romans 11, what I opened with, Paul wrote that he had hoped his ministry might somehow arouse his own people, his Jewish brothers. He used the word envy. I, I would hope that they would become envious of what I have here to desire what he had because he had Jesus Christ. He had the solution to this long-standing problem of how does man get reconciled unto God, and Paul had received it. And he wanted his Jewish compatriots and his brothers to understand it. And he said, I only hope that some of them would come to be saved. God reveals himself to us through others. By our love for one another, we show others things about God. So we can learn from others, and we can also teach others and reveal God through our love for one another, through what we've already come to know in his word. Our testimony can be used in others' lives, and it can bring people to salvation. So that's two ways. The word, our testimony, others' testimony, and finally, Jesus, Jesus Christ. God has been revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. His plan has been revealed. Jesus said things like this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, I and, I and the Father are one. The book of Hebrews opens with God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake unto the prophets in times past. He has in these last days spoke to us by his Son, Jesus Christ, who he is appointed heir of all things, and by whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, Jesus is the express image of God Almighty. And we have not only the Old Testament, we have the New Testament. We have the words of Jesus recorded. We have the life of the apostles and how they, how they followed Jesus. And that can help us understand what God has revealed about himself through Jesus. And the more you know him, the more you experience him, there still even lies ahead more to know and more to experience and more to learn. Paul wrote, for we see in a mirror dimly, but then 
face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully. He was looking to glory. He was looking to the day that uh, he would be out of this mortal shell and he would be with the Lord. So he said, at this time, in this human experience, we can't see everything perfectly. It's going to be a little bit foggy. But you know, you can clear up some of the fog. You get a little fog about the Lord in front of you, you can clear it up. Some think that God is totally unknowable, but he is knowable. Even though none of us have experienced all there is to know of God in this life, God is still knowable. When we stopped for our lunch break yesterday, I fell into a conversation that turned to this overwhelming, uh, to, to the idea that we're blessed in this country, the overwhelming blessing that we have in this country. And we talked about people who are in just, they were born in other countries and they don't, they don't have this great blessing of the, the world's breadbasket. And perhaps you've been blessed and you've prospered and your cup runs over. And you might ask, why? Why? You might even feel guilty about it. You hear all the ads about sponsoring a child that is hungry and impoverished for no other reason than the fact that that child was born in a third world country. And you ask, how is it, Lord, that I've been so blessed and another isn't? God might be trying to show you something. He's revealing more about himself. Maybe you've had a setback or an adversity, a trial, and you too ask, why? Why God me? Why me and not the other guy? And the answers to these questions lie in pressing into the revelation of God, pressing into his word, pressing into, his, uh, into others, pressing into Jesus Christ. The answer lies in covering ground you have not covered yet, to learn more of him, to know what uh, has been revealed to a greater extent, to discover to the fullest Discover to the fullest that all things work together to the good for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Or maybe you went through a trial and you went through pain only to learn that no discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful later on. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Maybe you read that verse in the book of Hebrews 10, 20 times. But you had to go through something to finally get it. And oh, now you get it. Thank you, Lord. I get it. You were disciplining me. And the pain was hard, but I understand. Or perhaps you found through a blessing or through a trial that God causes his son to uh, rise on the evil and the good. And he sends the rain upon the righteous and the unrighteous. Maybe you've read that verse from the book of Matthew several times. And now through a life experience, God's beginning to reveal more to you. And you understand his plan more. And you can help someone more now because you understand more. And I could go on and on and on that through his word, things become revealed to us as we live this thing called life. The point is that God is knowable. He is knowable by his word. His plan is knowable. It's knowable by, by and through his followers. And it's understandable through Jesus Christ. How are you coming to know him more? How do you see him? Maybe you need some help. Maybe you need some help seeing him clearly. Maybe you need some help 
seeing Jesus and all that has been revealed of him. Maybe you've never seen Jesus as even necessary. I want to speak to you plainly. I'd like to speak to you as plainly as Amos spoke to the Israelites. Jesus is the missing link. He is the God-to-man connection, and he's the only, the only way to God. I can't say that any more plainly. And I want to invite you to make that connection this morning if you've never made it. We have some elders and ministers that are going to come to these altars, and I'm just going to invite them right now. This morning is a time where we take every second Sunday to pray for folks who have physical needs, but it can be more than just that. It can be a physical need. It can be a spiritual need. It can be an, a, a help that, you, that you're asking the Lord for somewhere in your life. Maybe you just say, maybe something struck a nerve with you this morning. I need to know a little bit more about God's plan. I think he's been revealing something to me, but I, I haven't really, really come to see it with clarity. I mean, come down to these altars and receive prayer. If you've never really seen Jesus as necessary, I invite you to come to these altars this morning. Someone will talk to you. They will uh, help you come to understand the necessity and pray with you and help you turn your life toward him this morning.